Well, today, as you can see in the notes there, the insert in the bulletin, uh, as uh, Nikki said earlier, a bit of a sword drill today. Um, I found that when you teach in the Proverbs, other than in the early chapters of Proverbs where there's a sustained context, the, the rest of the Proverbs are really just a collection. And one of the better ways to teach through Proverbs is topically until you cover them all, right? And I'm not going to try to start today to cover all the Proverbs, but I am going to try to focus our attention on a certain Proverbs that have to do with honoring our mothers, because this is Mother's Day. And so that's a, a good place to go to learn about that. With this in mind, uh, let's take a moment to pray. Holy Father, I do thank you so much for your great love for us. I thank you that we have the honor, the privilege, the opportunity to worship our exalted Lord Jesus Christ, who is seated at your right hand, whom you have given a name that is above every other name. And we honor him as our great God and Savior. And we thank you that we get to hear today through your word, your voice to us teaching us, speaking to us. We pray uh, that you would fill us with your spirit, that we might understand what it is you would have us to understand from your word today. We know that we live in a culture which tries to destroy the family, tries to destroy a proper view of fathers and mothers, and we are opposed to that. We stand firm on your word, which reveals to us your created order, your purpose for the family, your intentions. And today we want to remember those intentions, particularly with your command to honor the mothers among us. We ask, Lord, that you would grant us your grace to that end. We ask these things in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I think uh, perhaps one of the single greatest examples of a man's honoring his mother can be found in the account of Solomon when he honored his mother. And this is in 1 Kings 2.19 I want to read to you. And you have all the scriptures there, so most of the time will be in the Proverbs, so there shouldn't be too many flipping, times flipping around. But this one is in 1 Kings 2.19, where we're told that Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah. Adonijah was in some trouble. Uh, and uh, the king rose up to meet her and bowed down to her. Now, you would expect the opposite, right? You'd expect the queen to come in and bow down before the king, or, or the queen mother, rather. Um, and she didn't. He bowed down to her. And he sat down on his throne and had a throne set for the king's mother so that she sat at his right hand. So the king of Israel bows down to his mother, and then he puts her in a throne right next to his at his right hand. And of course, those of you who know what that means scripturally, that's the most important and powerful place next to the king himself. The fifth commandment admonishes each one of us to honor your father and your mother. And I think King Solomon obviously honored his mother a great deal. Uh, He would seem to be fulfilling that commandment quite well, at least at this point. Yet bowing before her and seating her on a throne would have meant little or nothing if he didn't honor her the rest of the time and in other ways, 
right? But in what other ways uh, did he honor his mother? Exactly how did he honor her the rest of the time? Well, it doesn't tell us that in 1 Kings anywhere that I know of. Um, but I don't think we have to wonder too much about it since the Holy Spirit who gave Solomon such great wisdom in the first place also inspired him to write some of it down. And for this reason, I want to take a look this morning at the Proverbs of Solomon to better understand from our departed brother, one of the two wisest men who ever lived, what it means to honor our mothers. Now, I say he's one of the two wisest men who ever lived because our Lord Jesus, of course, was by far the wisest man who ever lived. Uh, Solomon is a very, very distant second, right? (laughs) But even that very, very distant second that he was was still the wisest man on earth because he was granted wisdom by the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he was inspired to write, as I said, some of that wisdom down. And so we're going to start looking through it and we're just going to go through a number of passages in the Proverbs which speak of the role of mothers, which can help us to learn not only how Solomon might have honored his own mother, but more importantly, how we should, because this is scripture that he was inspired to write for our benefit. So beginning in Proverbs 1, uh, verses 7 through 9, we read this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, after stating this basic principle, he then applies it to his son. My son, hear the instruction of your father. Now, in the context... That's going to be, based on what he just said, right, the instruction of the Lord that his father would have learned through fear of the Lord. He says, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. For they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. Now, the first thing to notice here about Solomon's statement in verse 8 is that it includes the mother alongside the father as the teacher of godly wisdom. Such a prominent place for the role of the mother, or women in general, uh, was quite unique in ancient times, actually. Israel was very unique in this regard, at least in, in their formal teaching and usually in their practice. In his commentary on the book of Proverbs, Derek Kidner speaks of, quote, the fully personal bond taken to exist between between husband and wife. The two share the children's training and are assumed to speak with one voice. This is a far cry from the not uncommon ancient idea of a wife as chattel and childbearer, but not companion. Or as David Hubbard writes in his commentary, quote, that both parents are mentioned is a tribute to the prominent role of Israel's mothers. We find no similar reference to mother as teacher in Babylonian or Egyptian wisdom literature. And so he's comparing the biblical wisdom literature we have in the Proverbs to other types of wisdom literature that were known in those days and um, saying there's nothing like this in these other sources. This is unique to Scripture, that mothers are held in such high regard alongside fathers. Indeed, the mother is clearly referred to in this passage as a teacher. For when Solomon says, do not forsake the law of your mother, it is in parallel with the father's instruction. So we have the Hebrew parallelism going on here, right? Where the mother has a similar role to the father in instructing the child. 
Also, uh, Solomon must mean by the phrase law of your mother, based on the context, as I already pointed out with the instruction of the father, he must mean something like the law of God as taught by your mother, which she has learned through the fear of the Lord, from God, from his word. Solomon thus assumes that a believing mother has learned the wisdom that comes from the fear of the Lord, which leads her to submit to the instruction of his word and then to pass that on. It's the same fear and instruction she wants her child to possess as a godly mother. In this context, then, to honor your mother means to place great value on the things of God that she seeks to share with you and to listen to what she says. It means to recognize her as God's mouthpiece in your life. That he's given you a mother for this purpose. Now, not all of us have mothers who know the Lord. Uh, But that doesn't mean that we cannot seek to honor them for whatever good things they do have to tell us. Even if sometimes we feel we may have to look closely to find such things in an unbelieving mother, we should seek them out and then honor our mothers for having the wisdom to share them with us. Right? So even if you don't have a believing mother, one thing you could do to honor her is whenever she does say something very good and that happens to align with godly principles and morality, you honor her for that. You praise her for that. You thank her for that. That's a, that's a way to be a good witness to an unbelieving parent, as a matter of fact. We should always thank them for whatever good things they may have taught us. And even more importantly, we should thank God for anything good that comes from our mothers, because we know that he's ultimately the source of it, that even the unbelieving mother is created in the image of God, and however tainted that image is due to sin, anything good that comes from her is ultimately because of God's grace as her creator. So even those of us who don't have believing mothers can still find a way to honor them. But of course, he has in mind speaking to the covenant community of Israel, a believing community that he's writing to. And he's assuming that you have believing parents here in Proverbs 1. In fact, he's speaking to his son, and he's taking the stance of a believer and uh, regarding his wife, who's the mother of this particular son, as a believer as well. That's if you think that he's writing in a personal way. He could just be saying, my son, because that's a way a lot of wisdom literature gets addressed as like a father to a son. I take it the more personal way. The next passage we'll look at is Proverbs 4, verses 3 and 4. And we'll see here again, there's fathers and mothers together pretty consistently in these passages. Um, This is the regular testimony of scripture is that parenting is a team effort between a father and a mother, and that both have a a key role to play. We see that again here. When I was my father, when I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words, keep my commands, and live. Now, Solomon refers to himself in two ways here. First, he remembers having been tender when he was little. Um, the Hebrew word is rach, which refers to the quality being soft or weak or perhaps tender. 
as it's translated here. Uh, so I think apparently Solomon was pretty frail as a boy, maybe. Um, or at least he's thinking back to a time in his childhood when he was weak, right? Probably his early childhood when he was particularly weak and tender. But his memory of that time is a good memory. Because as far back as he can remember, his father and mother were teaching him the way of life. And he remembers especially the way his mother treated him. And that leads us to the second way in which Solomon refers to himself here. And I think it's pretty striking. Notice how he says that he was the only one in the sight of his mother. We have a a phrase in modern, you know, times. In fact, there was an old song that was, I only have eyes for you, right? Uh, Basically, he was saying something like that about his mother toward him. He was the only one in the sight of his mother, who we know to be Bathsheba. But we also know that Bathsheba would have had at least some love and regard for David, her husband, um, and Solomon's father. We also know that David and, David and Bathsheba had three other sons, as First Chronicles tells us. In First Chronicles 3.5, we read, uh, these were born to him, meaning David, in Jerusalem, Shimea, Shobaph, Nathan, and Solomon, for Bathsheba, which is just another name for Bathsheba, the daughter of Amiel. So how is it that when referring back on the earliest days of his childhood that he can remember, apparently, Solomon says that he was the only one in the sight of his mother? Well, perhaps he was treated in a special way because maybe he was a particularly frail child. That could mean that. And he remembers with fondness the special care that his mother gave him. Or maybe, perhaps more likely, Bathsheba just had a a way of always making each of her children feel super special. And he remembers that with respect to himself. It could be that as well. Whatever the precise meaning he has in mind, one thing is sure. Solomon never forgot how special he was in the eyes of his mother. And he never forgot how caring she had been to him. And no wonder he treated her with such honor when he became the king. He he obviously knew that he owed her a great deal. And he wanted to show it. I think this is why celebrating Mother's Day is such a good idea. <laughs> uh, we, we can, in a way, sit our own mothers on the throne, right? On Mother's Day, right? Like Solomon did. Hopefully it gives us a chance to think back on even the earliest memories we have of our mothers, to remember them with fondness and to appreciate anew the role that they played in our lives. Now, some of us haven't had the greatest mothers in the world. Some of us may have even been abandoned by our mothers, We'll get to more on that a little later, and what, what those of us in that situation might do. I have some very early memories of my mother, but I was pretty much abandoned by her when I was quite young. Uh, and so there are not very many memories, and most of them aren't that great. But there are some fond memories in there. Um, but God's taught me another way to move forward that I'll share with you as we move on. So I'm just kind of hinting at it now. Let's move on to the next passage in Proverbs 6, verses 20 to 22. 
where Solomon writes, My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. There you have father and mother once again. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak with you. Now, again, as I've seen, we have an admonition not to forsake the law of your mother. We saw that early on in chapter 1. But the idea here is emphasized by the reference to her godly teaching as something that should be continually bound in your heart and tied, as it were, around your neck. You know, when you bind something in your heart, it's because you never want to forget it. In those days, if you took some scriptures maybe and tied them on, and put them in something and tied it around your neck, it's because you don't want to lose it and you don't want to forget it, right? What he means here is that we should keep constantly in mind the things that our mothers have taught us, presuming here that they're godly things, right? If we do this, we're told, then wherever we go and whatever we do, our mother's teaching will guide us. But more importantly, because she's been teaching us the things of the Lord, God's teaching will guide us, right? But as given to us through our mothers. You might say then, based on this verse, that there's a sense in which every single day ought to be a mother's day. Is there any better way to honor your mother and then never forget the good things that she's taught you and to live by them. We go on to see in Proverbs 10.1, which is reminding us here that we have the Proverbs of Solomon. That's how chapter 1 began. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. Now, there's parallelism here. A wise son actually makes both father and mother glad, right? And a foolish son is a grief to both father and mother. And that's how we should ultimately take it. But he highlights that a foolish son is a grief to his mother. I don't think it's hard to see what we can learn from this proverb about honoring our mothers. All we have to do is to avoid the kind of foolishness that will cause them grief. Of course, that's easier said than done, right? But it's important to remember that terms like wise and foolish, as we seek to live this out, are primarily moral rather than intellectual terms. So a wise person is a person who has spiritual understanding. And a foolish person is the one who is spiritually daft, as it were, or spiritually stupid, we could say. And what Solomon has in mind here is that we should avoid bringing grief to our mothers by living in ungodly ways and making bad moral decisions. Of course, he again assumes that one has a godly mother who will care about such things in the first place and to whom shame might be brought by immoral behavior. But again, not all of us have been blessed with such a godly mother. But that doesn't mean that we can't find a way to apply this proverb. Um, For example, as I said earlier, my mother did not know the Lord when I was growing up. I don't know if I made that clear. It probably was from the fact that she pretty much didn't want to have anything to do with me most of my life. But I I am thankful that I have reason to hope that she came to faith at the end of her life and and that she died as a believer. I have reason to hope on that score. Although most of my adult life, she didn't want to hear about the things of God from me. 
on her deathbed, I was the one she went in next to her of all of her children and that she kept asking for. And I think it's precisely because she wanted to end her life knowing the Lord. I have reasons for believing that, but, and I'm glad for it, but the point is that I didn't grow up with a godly mother. I had a, a mother it was very difficult to honor. And some of you might be in the same position as I was in. But I, over the years, found particular comfort in the teaching of our Lord Jesus, in which he promises that he will give his disciples other people in the church to replace their lost parents, particularly if you've had a rift in your relationship with your parents because you became a believer. This is uh, one of the texts here in Mark 10, verses 28 through 30. This text, when I was a very young believer, jumped out at me and has been the source of great consolation for me over the years. Uh, we're told in Mark 10, 28, that Peter began to say to Jesus, See, we have left all and followed you. And that was a true statement. And Jesus regards it as a true statement that he was making on behalf of himself and his fellow disciples. They really had left all and followed Jesus. So Jesus answered and said, Surely I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. What's he mean by that? Well, you may have lost biological family because you follow Christ in this particular context this is what he has in mind but you'll gain a family in the church you won't be alone you'll have in the body of Christ brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands he says now I can testify that Jesus has indeed given me a number of women over the years who have been like spiritual mothers to me. Uh, for example, uh, I, I might want to avoid behaving in any way that I know would bring grief to Eunice Campbell. When I first became a believer in the United States Navy uh, and I was stationed in Norfolk, Virginia, her and her husband, Irvin Campbell, who was like a spiritual father to me, the two of them uh, lived in Newport News, and their son was reaching out to, who happened to also be stationed in Norfolk and be a sailor, was reaching out to sailors, and he would bring them to his parents' home. And we would have Bible studies, and they would take us to church with them, and they would try to support us as Christians. And for those of us who weren't Christians who showed up, we could stay all weekend. They didn't care. They'd make room for us, and they would would feed us, and they would welcome us, and they would disciple us as best that they could. And to this day, I can't tell you the formative influence that woman had on me. I often think of her when I think about spiritual mothers in the Lord. And I don't want to do anything in my life. She's gone now, but that I know would have brought her grief. That's just one example. For more recent examples, I can tell you I would never want to exhibit the kind of foolishness that would grieve someone like Lena Dry or Janice Marshall who's like a spiritual mom to many in this room. 
in the time that she's been here. And we praise God for that. You see, even though some of us do not have a godly mother to honor in the way that he says, God has still given us spiritual mothers to honor. But as I pointed out earlier, we can still also try to honor our own biological mothers in this way to the degree that they desire truly good and honorable things for us, right? We can try not to live in such a way that would bring them down, right? In ungodly ways. Now, again, if you've got an unbelieving mother who is, particularly if they have a lot of animosity toward the Christian faith, you're going to be a constant disappointment to her, right? Not because you're being foolish, but because you're being wise. Because you love the Lord. And there's nothing you can do about that. And those are the kinds of people Jesus in particular has in mind in Mark 10. He says to you, I know it's a hard thing to lose your mother. But I've given you another family that can help fill that hole in your life. And I can testify that it does to a large extent. Proverbs 15.20 is our next proverb. I'll try to move a little quicker here. Um, A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son despises his mother. Now, this isn't too different from what we read, but it's put a little bit differently. It's much like the last proverb, but it states things in a bit stronger way. Because here Solomon says that a foolish son who grieves his mother acts as though he hates her. That's really strong language. To reject her godly counsel and to live in a way that brings her continual grief is hateful to her and does does not honor her. Conversely, then, to follow the wisdom that she seeks to instill from God's word is to show her love and to honor her as God desires. You know, a real godly mother who sees her son or daughter reject all the things of God that she's taught them will feel despised by that child. Because in despising the things of God, they're also despising their mother who believes those things. They won't feel loved. And so I I think a lot of Christian youth who disobey their parents and make foolish decisions when they get into their older teens or young adulthood don't realize how, how strong an impact that they might have on their mothers in this way when they make foolish decisions. I wonder how many men, women, and children claim to love their mothers but act as though they really hate them because they constantly reject what they've been taught by them. So I say to you, particularly young people and children, don't be deceived by such hypocrisy. To continually disobey your mother is to act as though you despise her. And if you want to honor her as God tells you to do, then you'll want to obey her. you want to listen to her. Remember that the Apostle Paul stresses that obedience is the primary thing that God had in mind when he gave the fifth commandment that I read earlier. In Ephesians 6, 1 and 2, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. So the chief way for a child to honor his mother 
is through obedience to what she says. This is, I think, also means that we'll live by what she's taught us for the rest of our lives. The principles that she's taught us. You know, we often think, you know, I'm out from under the authority of my mother now. I don't have to obey her in the same way I did when I lived under her roof and had to follow her rules and so forth. But if you live in accordance with the principles that she taught you for the rest of your, your life, you are obeying her for the rest of your life. You're obeying the things of God that she's taught you. And in the process, you're obeying her, even as an adult. And there's no better way to honor her than that. If she's a godly mother, she wants nothing more for you than that. In Proverbs 19.26, moving along here, we see that he who mistreats his father and chases away his mother is a son who causes shame and brings reproach. Yikes. This is about as far as you can get from honoring your parents. Uh, David Hubbard, I think, subs up this proverb nicely when he writes this. Mistreats suggests violence, even destruction. Chases away literally means causes to flee. It pictures a son old enough and strong enough to commandeer the parent's household and physically eject them. The New Testament prodigal son took his share and played the fool by abandoning his family and squandering his resources. This Old Testament fool is much more to be censured He has confiscated his parents' holdings and cruelly sent them packing. Their inward pain is amplified by the horrible shame and reproach since the whole affair has been placarded in their community. Now, granted, this is an extreme example of dishonoring one's mother, although such things still do happen. But there are other more subtle ways that one's mother can be chased away. Uh, the Baptist commentator John Gill observed back in the 1700s that this may involve the fact that through his foolish and sinful behavior, the son, quote, causeth her to avoid and abhor his presence in society. He's saying you can chase your mother away in the sense that you are the kind of person she simply doesn't want to be around. And he applies it that way. I think it's a good application. If you've got a godly mother, you should be the kind of person that she would like, which means you're being a godly person. Proverbs 20.20 says this, Whoever curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in deep darkness. Now today, most people think of cursing as simply saying a bad word and So they may think that we should avoid swearing at our parents. Um, And I definitely agree that we should avoid such disrespectful behavior as swearing at our parents. But this isn't really what the Old Testament idea of cursing involved. The concept has to be understood within the Old Testament context of covenant blessings and curses. Because God promised blessings for obedience to his law and curses for those who disobeyed. And so to curse your parents is to want God's curses upon them and not his blessings. That's about as hateful as you can be to a person. I think David Hubbard is again helpful and quite correct when he asserts that, quote, cursing implies the wish and the threat that all blessings be cut off, 
all mercy withdrawn and all harm invoked upon the parents. No matter what his or her mother may have done, a Christian should never be so hateful as to wish his or her mother cut off from the blessings of God. And the person who desires such a thing can be assured that it is he himself who will be judged by God. For this is what it means when the text says that his lamp will be put out in deep darkness. It means that his own dark demise will one day come upon him. What he wished on his mother will happen to him, in other words, or her. But conversely, to honor your mother would mean to wish her every blessing from God. And this is one of the very best things we can do to honor our mothers. It will involve lovingly sharing the gospel with our mothers if they're not believers. Because there's no better blessing than that, right? To see them come to know Christ and have every spiritual blessing be theirs. We can tell our mothers that we wish God's best for them and we can pray that he will bless them in every way. So we can learn positively what to do from what not to do. In Proverbs 23, 22, we're told, listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. Now, this proverb is pretty easy to understand, I think. The older your mother gets, the harder it may be uh, to be around her. Uh, The more difficult it may be to take care of her. And the easier it might be to be, you know, to kind of hate having her around. It's kind of the opposite of what we talked about before. A lot of people these days seem to have that attitude. It's easy to start sinfully thinking of an older mother merely as a burden or perhaps as someone who's hopefully out of touch with the times and has nothing good left to say to you. But uh, Solomon reminds us to start to think this way is, in fact, hateful. Conversely, to take an interest in what she has to say, to genuinely care about her point of view, and to want to take care of her in her old age is the way you would honor her. Moving on, later in the same chapter of Proverbs 23, we read, In verses 24 and 25, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her who bore you rejoice. And this is just another way of saying a lot of the things he said before, right? It repeats some of the same concerns as a few of the Proverbs we've already considered. If you want to honor your mother, then seek to make her life a joy because of the way you're living a wise and righteous life. This is one of the greatest joys a godly mother will ever receive from her children. I can tell you, as a parent of three adult children, we have great joy in the fact that our children follow the Lord and want to live godly lives and are doing so. We, we praise God for that. Later in Proverbs 28, verse 24, we read this, Whoever robs his father or his mother and says... It is no transgression. The same is companion to a destroyer. 
this is maybe the sort of deadbeat son that moves in with his aging mother and leeches off of her and wastes all her money. We know there are a lot of people out there like that, right? Well, they were around way back in Solomon's time, too. And so he addressed it. Because this refers to a person who wastes his parents' money and goods and, and just thinks it's no problem. They feel entitled to it, I guess. As David Hubbard again helpfully observes, the person who robs his parents may claim it is no transgression by arguing that the money or the property will come to him anyway, the death of the mother or the father. The wise rightly branded the argument as specious and pinpointed the viciously cruel conduct of one who broke faith with those who gave him life and burdened their later years with regrets about their son's behavior and anxiety about their means of sustenance. It's just plain mean to be that kind of child. And scripture has no room for a person like that. Jesus addressed the same attitude and behavior in his confrontation of the Pharisees and the scribes. In Mark 7, verse 9, we're told that he said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. Now you have to keep in mind what cursing meant before, right? To wish, basically, to really want your mother and father to be eternally condemned and separated from God was a death penalty offense (laughs) under the old covenant. But he says, but you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is, a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. So in other words, if they didn't want to help out their parents because they were stingy and hang on to their money, they would just technically pronounce it as something that they've dedicated to God so I don't have to share it with my mom and dad. I don't have to care for them at all under the pretense of piety. Jesus despised this and called it out for what it was, sin and hypocrisy. So people are looking for technicalities when their parents are aging and they should be helping them not to do it or the kind of people that are like the scribes and the Pharisees. If you want to honor your father, you want to honor your mother, then take care of her when she gets older and can no longer look after herself. And don't make excuses, however spiritual they may sound to you, for avoiding this responsibility. And then we come to our final proverb, Proverbs twenty-nine, fifteen. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. This proverb points out that discipline is really good for a child. And it warns that a mother who doesn't want to discipline her child will not instill the wisdom she desires for him or her to have. And as a general rule, the child will just become a disappointment in the future. But the converse is also true. Namely, that when a child is well-disciplined, he or she will, as a general rule, be a source of pride to his mother rather than shame. And this means to all of the children here, listen up, children. This is for you. 
You need to appreciate the discipline that your mother administers to you, whether it's by the rod, it says here, that means spanking in our parlance, or if she rebukes you, if she, if she scolds you for doing something wrong. You need to think that is a good thing. And you need to be glad that your mother loves you enough to do that. Because she wants you to learn to obey God. Now, it may sound crazy to you now uh, because you're a child and you don't understand things very well. But it is God's will for you and it's good for you. And one day, you'll look back and really appreciate it. So with that, I hope uh, I've given you all, no matter how young or old, plenty of food for thought today just by going through some of Solomon's Proverbs about mothers that mention mothers and fathers mostly together. I, I, I hope I've helped you to see from the wisdom that he shares with us in the word how to better honor your mother on Mother's Day and every day. Because as we've seen, for a Christian, every day should be like a Mother's Day. But remember, as you do this, that you're really seeking to honor God himself because it is he himself who's commanded to you, love your father and your mother. If you're like me, though, and you've heard all this, you think, who can live up to that? We know that even Solomon didn't fully live up to it especially as he got older. That was easy for him to take care of his mother because he was really rich. He probably didn't falter on that point, right? But we know toward the end of his life, he did some sinful things that would really have grieved his mother and he himself didn't even fully live up to this teaching that God inspired him to write. So we think, man, if Solomon couldn't do it, how can I do it? Well, here's the important thing to remember. Solomon isn't the hero of the story. God is. God can enable us to do what Solomon failed to do when he distanced himself from God. What's the answer for us? To not distance ourselves from God, but to rely on him, to trust him to ask him by his grace through the power of the Spirit to enable us to be the kind of person that we've read about this morning in the Word. By the grace of God and through the power of his Holy Spirit, we can live this way. We can. So if you've heard all this and think, man, I'm hopeless. Yeah, you're right, you are. But God isn't. If you trust yourself, you're doomed. If you trust him, you can do this. You can. So be encouraged. Let's pray. Holy Father, uh, whenever we look at your word and the righteousness that your word demands, we all feel it, I'm sure. All of us who know you, we feel it. We feel that we fail in so many ways. We, we probably all thought of ways, or many of us have thought of ways where we could have done better in fulfilling these commands, and we failed. And so all we can do is what we should do. Ask for your forgiveness, remembering that we have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ the righteous, and that we will be forgiven when we confess our sins to you, and that we can rely on you anew to empower us through your Holy Spirit to be what you've called us to be, to live out the Christian testimony you wish us to live out, to magnify Christ in the ways you desire us to do as children toward our parents and in today particularly with respect to our mothers. Help us today to leave our mothers feeling especially honored and to commit to making them feel that way every day if we can. We'll give you the glory for what you do as a result. We pray these things in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as always, I thank you for your kind attention.